Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Have you ever wondered what the key to a good life is? Harvard researchers have studied thousands of people for over 80 years and they've figured it out. The key to a good life is relationships. Over and over again, they've found that people who are successful and happy are the ones who lean into relationships with their families, friends, and communities. But these researchers only discovered what God showed us long ago. Just like it says in Luke 10, 27, we are created for community. Whether that's relationship with God, your partner, your family, or your community. The Bible says it, the study's proven it. So together, let's learn how to live the good life. When I moved up from Victoria uh, as a 12-year-old, I went from primary school in Victoria into high school uh, in Brisbane, and it wasn't a good time. I went to this new school. I'm not going to name it because I'm going to say some disparaging things about it. It was very, 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 very long time ago. I'm sure that the school has changed uh, since then. But uh, I went along to this new private boys high school and uh, I was buddied up because I came in at about halfway through term two of the first year of high school, which is not a good time to start in a new high school. The first year of high school, about halfway through term two. So what had happened is all of these boys had made friends with each other. They'd, they'd formed their friendship groups, all this sort of thing. And I come in as this newbie, this weirdo from Victoria, who was about 12 months younger than everyone else. So as, uh, as any good school does, they, they buddied me up with someone else. And this guy seemed pretty keen to be a buddy. He was a nice young fella. And, uh, and he was quite, uh, quite pleasant towards me and quite helpful and all that sort of thing. His best friend, on the other hand, did not like the fact that there was a new kid stepping into his territory and made life really difficult for me. Not only that, he, he, he poisoned the rest of the group to make me the target of their bullying, make me the target of all the stuff uh, that they wanted to let out of their system. And uh, that was not a pleasant time for me coming into a new high school where I felt very alone. I lasted three days in that high school three days and I chucked the biggest tantrum any 12 year old boy can chuck telling my mum I am not going back to that school I'm not going stepping foot back in there that was horrible and uh, no one wants to be alone in a situation like that no one likes to be alone in a community like a school walking around feeling so alone speaking of alone uh, we've taken as a family to watching this series called surprise surprise alone any any fans of alone yeah, it's a good series, hey? It's, it's pretty fas- a fascinating view into the human condition when you take a bunch of people and you stick them in the middle of nowhere on their own. All these people who spend as long as they can alone surviving off the land. It's a pretty incredible show. If you haven't seen it yet, I think they're up to about series nine. So it's a pretty popular series. Um, the thing about these people though is that, you know, you know that uh, when you're watching a TV show and you see that line, don't try any of this at home, that's sort of like the mantra of alone. When you watch these guys do this, these are professional survivalists. Like these are, these are people who know how to do the thing that the TV show is about. Like if I went into the middle of nowhere and I had to shoot things with a bow and arrow, I would starve after a few days. I could not shoot that thing straight. These guys are professionals. Not only professionals at being able to forage and hunt and all those sorts of things, but people who actually enjoy being by themselves. 
If you, if, you, if you looked into their lives, I'm sure you'd find that more on the introverted side of the spectrum than on the extroverted side. They love being alone. That's why they signed up for the show. They can do all the stuff, but they also enjoy their own company. Yet what I find so fascinating about this show is that almost without fail, and I'm just talking about the episodes I've watched, which is probably only about 20% of all the episodes, but everyone that I've watched without fail, when people check out of that show, the reason is they miss their families. These people who love being alone, who are kind of wired with that introversion wiring where they enjoy their own company without fail, every single one of them get to this point where it's too much to be separated from the people they love and who love them. They dial up and they check out. Even the person who eventually wins. I love this. This is the tearjerker moment. This is when you know the tears start running down our faces. And if you've watched this, you know this. When they get to the last episode and the winner, the winner doesn't know they're the winner. They just think they're getting a standard medical check from the medical team. So let them know they're coming in, they're doing the medical test, they're going through everything. And then as they're doing the interview, just checking in, you can see in the background coming through the jungle or the forest or whatever is their spouse or one of their family members quietly coming through. And the moment when the person turns around and sees them, that's the tearjerker moment. Even the person who lasted the longest alone is so overcome with emotion when they are reconnected with a loved one. The evidence of the truth of the research that we've just caught a glimpse of in that one minute video is all around us. We are created for community. This is what really makes us happy is when we are connected together in relationships. It's wired into every single one of us. I don't care where you are on the spectrum of introversion to extroversion. All of us, is, we have this wiring within us that we are made for community. We are made for relationships. And the, the quality of those relationships determine, this research shows, will determine how happy we are. And as was said in the video, this should come as no surprise to those of us who read Scripture and understand the story of God from beginning until now. He created us this way. 80 years of research, which apparently is a really, really long longitudinal study. Most studies don't last that long. 80 years of study, 80 years of teams of people investing themselves in this research have come to a conclusion that is thousands of years old. We are wired for community. Finding the good life. And who here wants to find a good life? Don't put your hand up because I know you all would if you were more game. And we're not really a putting our hands up type church. <laughs> finding the good life is finding good relationships and investing in them. There's three findings that came out of, uh, of this, uh, this research. Just wanna highlight a little bit more than, more than that short video told us. Here's the, here's the first big one. Social connections are really good for us and loneliness kills. It's like a two sides of the coin. Social connections are really good. And if you don't have them, if you're lonely, that kills you. As good as close relationships are, as good as social connections are for us, the opposite is devastatingly true. Loneliness kills you know, God was right when He said it's not good for man to be alone. 
Do you know, when, when you look at some of the research that's sort of around this study that's been happening over the last 80 years and a whole bunch of other studies as well, like th- there is a plethora of studies on the internet about this stuff that we're talking about today and over the next four weeks. They reckon that loneliness, it, it has an impact on your health equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's the health implication. The, 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 the mortality rate increases by 26% for people who experience ongoing loneliness. That mental and physical health issues are far more prevalent for people who experience loneliness. Loneliness increases our risk of experiencing poorer health outcomes from decreased immunity, increased inflammatory responses, elevated blood pressure, decreases in cognitive health and faster progression of Alzheimer's disease. This is peer-reviewed research into the effect of loneliness. And then the opposite's true for people who have these deep social connections Everything's at the other end of the scale. The second, the second key finding from the research is this. It's not the quantity of your relationships, but the quality of your close relationships that matter. I have 1,303 Facebook friends. How many have you got? How many of those people have I had a conversation with in the last week? I count on one hand. How many people have I seen face to face in the last 12 months? I could probably count it on two hands a couple of times. How many have I actually had a conversation with who I'm, actually, who I'm friends with on Facebook? How many people have I actually had a conversation with? I reckon way under half. We live in a time where social connections are everywhere. Social media has made us more connected than ever. I mean, you could, if you started to list the quantity of relationships that you have, and I'm talking every sort of relationship that you have, the list would probably go into the thousands. We have never been more connected than we are now, thanks to things like social media. And it, but, but what's unique about the time we live in, even though we're that connected, we've never been more lonely. We've never been more lonely. In fact, uh, social scientists, psychologists, psychiatrists uh, uh, have kind of declared that we are living in an epidemic of loneliness. More connected than ever and yet more lonely than ever. And this research has shown that it's not actually about how many people you know, but how many people you know deeply and how many people know you deeply. It's the, quant- it's the quality of your close relationships more than the quantity of relationships that will give you the good life. The third finding from this study is this. Good relationships don't just protect our bodies, they also protect our brains. I covered some of this under the first point. The the, the negative mental and physical impact caused by loneliness mentioned already is matched on the other side of the coin by how well we are served by having good, close, healthy, deep relationships. I mean, this research that they're doing, and they're, they're, they're over, way over thousands of people. They started this research back in the 20s, I think. Is, that, is my maths right there? I don't know, but 20s or 30s. And they started with a group of men uh, from all different socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, from all different contexts, and they have studied their lives up until now. A lot of those original guys are dead. Some of them are still living, but they've gone on to... Uh, to expand the study to include their families, their kids, their wives, all this sort of stuff. The, the, the research has grown and grown and grown. 
and, the, and the, uh, the study that they're undertaking is holistic. They're looking at the whole person, not just social life or anything like that, looking at their mental health and their physical health and all that sort of thing. And the evidence is compelling that good relationships don't just protect our bodies, they protect our brains as well. Social connections are really good for us and loneliness kills. It's not the quantity of your relationships, but the quality of your close relationships that matters. And good relationships don't just protect our bodies, they also protect our brains. All of this is to say that the good life is found in good relationships. And, and I don't know about you, but as I read that, that short summary, like how, how do you make such a short and succinct start, uh, summary of 80 years of research? It's pretty impressive to boil it down to that. But as I sit here and, and as, I, as I looked at it, and as I say it to you today, it's like, yeah, well, tell us something we don't know. <laughs> That's not surprising at all. Is, is anyone surprised by this? Is anyone surprised that good relationships are, are the bread and butter of living the good life? I think that's not very surprising. Like it's not a shock. But think about then what the good life is not based on, therefore. What are the things that we chase after that we think will give us the good life that this research has shown is not the case? Like there's a whole list of things we could come up with that we think, no, this will give me the good life. Money, sex, power. Let's start with the big three. More money, better sex. If I only had more power and more influence. What about being debt-free? If I'm debt-free, surely that's the good life. Well, let me get a good education, not just for me, but for my kids. If I get a good education, then get a good job and get a good career, well, then that will be the good life. I can say that I've lived a good life, serving other people, uh, ministry in the church, like the, the list you could make goes on and on about the things that we think give us the good life, the things that we chase after. Experiences. You open your Facebook, Instagram, whatever, whatever is trendy these days and see all of your friends who are sharing through photos and videos the experiences they're having. If the more experiences you have overseas, theme parks, beaches, that beautiful coffee you have at Gateway Redlands after the service, whatever it is, you take a photo of it, you share that experience. Look at me living the good life. None of that, none of that came out of this study. None of that. As they tracked with the lives of all these people, their strong and overwhelming conclusion is the good life comes from good relationships with other people. Justin Whitmell Early has written a book called Made for People. I'm gonna quote it a bit today. It's a good book. It's a good book to get your hands on. He defines loneliness as the feeling of being a person who used to have friends. The feeling of being a person who used to have friends. Listen to some of these quotes. This is, this is the first one. The, the current, and when he's talking about current, he's talking like in, in the ocean, there's a current that pulls us along. The current of modern life means that unless we swim with all we've got in the other direction, we will drift towards being someone who used to have friends. It's the new normal. We are the most physically connected and yet spiritually isolated people who have ever walked the planet. Next slide. The current of modern life is to become busier, wealthier people who used to have friends. It is common sense that friendship is the good life, but common practice 
is to drift into loneliness. This research and study, you might not be excited about this series at this point because you're like, yeah, tell me something I don't know. Of course, it's in good relationships. But everything in our culture is taking us in the other direction, taking us more into isolation, taking us more into division and separation from community. Our fences are getting higher. Our houses are getting more insulated. And everything about the current of our culture is drifting us away from investing in deep relationships. But the truth remains that you were made for community. As the beautiful title of his book says, you were made for people. It's how God made you. Way back in the beginning, some of the first words that came out of God's mouth, well, he created the, he created the universe with, the, with his voice. But as he was doing that, as he stepped back and looked at what he'd done, you know what he said? Three words, it is good. It is good. Day one, he'd finished. He went, it is good. Day two, oh, it's good. Day three, it is good and so on. It is good. But then there's like, like, like almost like a jarring statement from God that, that, that really should leap off the page to us when we think about it. There's something that he looks at and he goes, no, this is not good. This is not good. Now, this is before sin had entered the world. This is before that famous fruit had been eaten by Adam and Eve. Something that God looked at in what he had created that up until this point was 100% good. He goes, it is not good. And you know where this is going. I said it earlier. I blew the statement. I didn't mean to say it earlier, but I did anyway. It is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. And after creating woman, after creating not just marriage, but creating the context and and, and the opportunity for relationship, creating the potential for family and community, God steps back and says, "Uh, now it is very good. It is very good. This 80-year study has discovered what was woven into us the day that we were created. We were made for community and without it, we suffer. And sadly, the suffering is all around us and hits home within so many of our hearts. The reality of suffering from loneliness, continually finding ways to shun one another, to fear the other person to reject them, to cancel them, to move away from others and not be associated with people who are different. And the more we do that, the more isolated we become. We are killing ourselves quite literally with loneliness. And I ask you, church, is there a better time for the church, the people of Jesus, to shine the light of friendship and this truth that we are made for community, to love our neighbours and to be, make friends with our neighbours. Is there a better time than for us now to be embracing and chasing after and investing in what each of us was made for? So this series, big long intro. This series, I do like big long intros, by the way, you should probably know. We're going, to, we're going to be over the next four weeks looking at this idea of the communities that we're meant to be a part of. Today, we are looking at finding your plus one. Next week, we're going to look at finding home. Then we're going to look at finding your tribe. And then we're going to look at finding your seat. And there's a bit of mystery in that one. I'll leave it a bit open for you to come along and find out more about that. But as I gestured there, we're starting with the one or two people that are close, finding your plus one, then finding your 
home, finding home. This is, this is a message about family for all of us, not just mum and dad, but for everybody who is in a family, which is everybody, no matter what your family looks like. A dysfunctional family is any family that has more than one person in it. Then finding your tribe, finding the people of faith who you do life with and do community with, and then finding your seat in, 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 this, in this, I'm not gonna give too much away, finding your seat. Today, though, is finding your plus one. And as soon as I say finding your plus one, you would expect, and I think you probably already expect this to be a talk about marriage. And in some ways it is. Some ways it is because for those of us who are married, your plus one will probably be your spouse. And when you, when you talk about the relationships that God wants us to have with each other in His heart, there is, there is no relationship that two people can have that is more intimate than marriage. Tim Keller says, and if Jesus or Tim Keller said it, it's probably true. There's no relationship between human beings that is greater or more important than marriage. When we're thinking about intimacy between two people, finding your plus one, marriage is at the top of the list. And your spouse, I hope, is, and, and as I get to the end of the talk, you'll understand more about what we mean when we say plus one, but I hope that you have found them <laughs> and that they have found you and you're, you have a growing relationship of intimacy and vulnerability and that in your marriage, you are expressing and experiencing God's heart for and His vision for marriage. And as, we've, as we talk about in this series, investing in those relationships are super important to living the good life. Investing in those few relationships that you have if you're married, starting with your spouse. I wanna just give you a heads up as I take a bit of a sidestep. In term one next year, 2024, we're gonna be running the marriage course. Uh, it's something that we've done before. We're gonna be running it fully through in person. And uh, if, if you want to take some time to invest in what, what is for you your most important relationship, if you're married, then you can take part in that course next year. Space is limited, but we'll tell you more about that as we, as we get closer to term one next year. The other thing you can do is grab a book and read it together. There's a ton of books out there. There's a ton of online courses, but taking time to invest in your marriage relationship is important if you wanna live the good life. It's more important than anything, actually, if you wanna live the good life. But we've got to take a step back from marriage for a second. Because one of the things that I always feel when we come to talk about marriage is in church, we hold marriage up to be the thing that all of us should aspire to. We would never say it like that because we try to be sensitive. But if, if marriage is what we, that we, we try and say to everybody, this is what you should aspire to be, that, that happiness and the good life is found in marriage, then everyone who's not married has no hope of living the good life. So that straight away excludes Paul and hello, Jesus. But constantly in the church, we hold up, sometimes subconsciously, sometimes unintentionally, marriage is the goal, people. This is the key to living the good life, getting married and then having kids. And we don't take time to step back and say, for some, marriage is not gonna happen. For some, having a family is not gonna happen. But the good life is still absolutely within reach for everybody. It has to be. Jesus had no wife. Jesus had no kids. He lived the good life. Paul had no wife. Paul had no kids. He lived the good life. There's a bunch of others throughout, not just the Scriptures, but throughout church history, who if we say marriage is the key to the good life, we exclude straight away. Everyone 
no matter what your situation, no matter what your marital status, no matter whether you're single, not yet married, never gonna be married, whether you're divorced, whether you're married again, whatever situation you find yourself in right now as I'm talking to you, the good life is within your grasp. Finding your plus one is not just about finding your marriage partner. Finding your plus one is finding someone or a couple of someones to know and love and to be known and loved by. It's not good for you to be alone, no matter who you are. So Jesus surprises us. And you know what? He even offends us. Well, let me own it. He offends me. At the very least, He contradicts everything else that He says in other parts of Scripture when He says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying? This is offensive. Isn't the vision for the good life relationship? Come on, Sam, you've been hopefully convincing me so far. And then Jesus throws this spanner in the works. Are you kidding me? Unless you hate the people that you're meant to invest in relationships with in order to have the good life, unless you hate them, you have no part in being a follower of Jesus. What is he saying here? Jesus loves to say controversial things and then spring his trap of grace and love. Let's break this down a little bit. The first thing thing we need to acknowledge here is that the bit I didn't read, which kind of sets the scene, is large crowds were travelling with Jesus and turning to them, he said. So this is not a little speech for his close disciples. This is not a little speech for the super class of Christians. You know, you know, we, we kind of think of them as the missionaries and, and maybe, maybe the pastors. <laughs> I always find that hilarious. But the people who, you know, Jesus has a special mission for. And so for you guys, look, I just, I just wanna be honest with you. Give up on all the things you thought were important. It's just gonna be me and you for the rest of time. That, that's all it is. Like you're gonna have to turn your back on everything. Come follow me, you know, turn away from everything and then come follow me. You know, the sorts of people we write books about. Jesus isn't talking to them at this point. He turns to a large crowd. He turns to, this is maybe a medium-sized crowd, but He turns to a crowd of people and He says it to them. This is not for a special class of Christian. This is for everybody who wants to understand what Jesus is on about. And He says this incredibly controversial, at worst offensive thing, unless you hate the people in your lives, in your closest circles, you cannot be my disciple. I find this offensive, but I also importantly find it completely contradictory when you first read it to other things that Jesus says. And as soon as that triggers in your mind, this doesn't make sense with all the the other things that Jesus says, we need to dig a bit deeper. So think about some of the things, some of the things we've We've heard this morning as we worshipped and as we prayed and all that sort of thing. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He says things like, love your neighbour. Love your neighbour and serve them. Doesn't your neighbour start with your wife, your mother, your brother? Like, love your neighbour. Sacrificially, love them. He says things like, I've got the abundant life. 
And, and it's not good for you to be alone. And the abundant life is found in loving each other and serving one another. Like as I have loved you, go and love each other. So that's, that, that at first reading seems completely opposite to what he says here. Now hate them all. <laughs> what? What's he going on about? Here's, here's what I reckon Jesus is saying. And, and like I said, it's like a trap he's trying to spring on us with his love and his grace. He never traps us to embarrass us. He traps us to bring us in to his love and into his grace. Here's what I think he is saying. The good life, if you use the language of our series, the good life starts with investing in a relationship with me, Jesus. Don't expect other humans to give you what only Jesus can give you. That is an unfair expectation on another human being to give you what only Jesus can give you. And I reckon what Jesus is saying when he says, he uses that strong word, hate, He's almost saying, look, if you wanna understand what life truly is, you need to reject the need to find fulfilment and value and love in other human beings and find it in me alone. You need to find it in me. Only I can give you what your heart and your soul crave for. Another human being cannot do that. You will be disappointed. That relationship could at worst become dangerous if you're expecting the other person to be what only Jesus can be. So then, what then? Should we pursue the solitary life? Like, okay, good. Me and Jesus all the way, baby. That's, that's all that we're on about here. That's what I'm living for now, just me and Jesus. No, no, because Jesus said, it's not good for you to be alone. Justin Whitmore early makes this observation that it can just be you and Jesus, but you can still feel really lonely because God is there with Adam when He says it's not good for you to be alone. And Adam would be going, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm here with you, aren't I? And God's going, yeah, but you need more than this. And I've wired something more deep into you that, that you need another human in order to live with, to live the good life. So Jesus is not just saying, forget everybody else. You and me, let's live this life together. I don't think he's saying anything less than that, but he wants so much more for you. Here's, here's a bit, let, me, let me go a bit deeper than what I said before. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. First of all, don't expect another human to give what only I can give you. That's the first thing. But here is the profound and beautiful thing. When we do that, when we, to, use, to use potentially cheesy language that's been in all these marriage books over, over the years, when our love tank is filled by Jesus, it overflows and gives us this supernatural power to love other humans much, much better. So it's not a withdrawal from relationship with other humans. It's actually like plugging in to this supernatural source of unconditional love that helps us to be better husbands, better fathers, better friends, better brothers, better sisters, better humans, because we're able to love people without expectation. We're able to love people without condition. This is the journey that Jesus wants to take us on. I have not reached the end of that journey by any stretch. Some days I feel like I'm right at the beginning again, but I know that the more plugged into Jesus that I am, the better husband I am, the better father I am. And as soon as I feel that disconnection happening, I know my temper is much shorter. 
I know my selfishness gets a lot more intense. But when I'm plugged into Jesus, the one who loves me no matter what, no matter what stuff ups I make, and He continually pours His love into me, I know then that I can love others better. When this is flowing, this flows better. And you can love people better. Here's what Jesus says. This, is, this isn't like a command and you will do this. This is what happens when we connect into Jesus. Not only will you love your friends and your family better, you'll love your enemies. Because you're not expecting anything from them. It's unconditional. You've got this love from me that is, that is never ceasing, that is never ending. There's nothing that you can do that can separate you from that love. So as we look at the people around us, even the people who are different, even the people who we fear, even the people who we shouldn't do life with, we're able to love them in this supernatural way. Jesus is the better friend. Jesus is the best friend. Jesus, here's the thing about Jesus. He, he sees you as you really are. I think of all the people at Gateway Redlands who know me best. It, 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 I don't even need to think about it. It's Brooke. It's my wife. She knows me best. But you know what? Even my wife, we've been married for 20 years this year. We celebrate 20 years next month. And I know some of you have been married a lot longer than that. She doesn't know me fully. She doesn't know me fully. Jesus does. What, what Brooke knows that you don't know, sometimes it's a mystery why we're still together and still in love. <laughs> what Jesus knows, it's mystery beyond all mysteries that he sticks with me. Jesus knows me fully and says, Sam, I love you anyway. Jesus is a friend like no other. Jesus sees through all the pretense. Jesus sees through all the Christian cliches and platitudes that spill out of our mouths. Jesus sees behind every mask, every snake, snake file, every fake smile. Jesus sees the reality behind those perf, picture perfect photos that you choose to put on Facebook so everyone will think that you got it all together. Jesus sees past that. Jesus sees the real deal. He sees every tear. He sees every failure. He sees every pain that you carry in your heart. And He says, I love you anyway. I'm not going anywhere. I'm sticking with you. I've had friends as the result of bad experiences and bad things happening in church communities not be friends with me anymore. And it hurts. It sucks. Some of you have experienced that rejection and been on the receiving end of that pain. Jesus will never do that to you. Jesus will never do that to you. Nothing can separate Him, you, from His love. And what's extraordinary about this is He is the one who knows you the most fully. Some of you need to hear that today. It's, it's a simple three-word thing that, you know, again, talk about cliches and platitudes. God loves you. Yeah, God loves me. God loves you. But you, you, need, you need to hear it because there's stuff that you carry that no one else knows about. And it would be death for you if another person in this campus found out about it. You fear the rejection that would come if people only knew. And there is no way on God's green earth that I'm ever going to tell anyone that. Jesus knows what that is. Jesus knows what was in your heart when that happened. 
Jesus sees all of it. He knows you fully and He still says, you have no idea how much I love you. No idea. Nothing can separate you from His love. There's no doubting His love. There's, you, you can't doubt the love of Jesus when you think about it. If you're sitting there going, there's no way that even Jesus could love me. You're wrong. You're wrong because He has said it to you. He has said it on the cross. This is how much I love you. This is how far I'm willing to go. Greater love has none than this, that a person would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus has done that for you. That very pain you carry, that those secrets you carry, those secret sins and shame that you carry in your heart. Jesus says on the cross, I'm dealing with all of it to, in order to make a way for us to be in relationship with each other. And here it is, it is done. I love you, it's been said, it's been evidenced. Here it is. He loves you. He knows you fully. And He loves you anyway. And with that established, with that, and I hope every time we gather, we remember this. Every single time we come together on a Sunday morning, we remember what I've just said. Jesus loves us like nobody else can. Jesus is the King of the universe. Jesus is the one seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling all of history for all eternity. Jesus has power that we cannot imagine. Jesus is more holy than we could ever understand. And He loves you. He loves you. Not you, but you. He loves you. This is why we're here. I hope that every time you gather in your life group, you remember this. I hope that every time youth group comes together on a Friday night, we remember this. Every time the kids go out to kick, we remember this. This is what we're about. So with this established, with this absolutely central, I wanna go back to something I was saying earlier. Jesus in His love for you does not want you to, doesn't want it to just be you and Him. He, it's not in His heart to just bring you into a relationship where it's just you and Him and forget everybody else. Part of Jesus loving you is giving you, wanting to give you friends and social connections that will help you live the good life. That's in His heart. That's what He wants for you. So let me use a mathematical, nonsensical equation. Jesus did this. He was asked, what's the greatest command? And He gave two. So following in His footsteps, I wanna say this. Jesus is our first plus one. Okay, but, but He wants for us a second plus one and a third plus one. See how the math doesn't work, but I think you understand what I'm trying to say. And Jesus wants you to be a second plus one to other people. Not just in marriage, although that's a reality for many of us, but beyond marriage as well. So in, with, with, that, with that thought in our minds that Jesus wants us to make these social connections, let me give you four tips in order to help you experience and, and, and give, give the potential. I know many of you already have this, by the way, but for some of us, this is a bit elusive. This is a bit hard for us because of all the things we've talked about, the drift of the current of culture taking us into isolation, taking us into loneliness. So much is, is uh, we're fearful to, to really share deeply about what we think and how we feel because we feel like that's gonna give us a label. Other people aren't gonna wanna be around us because of the way we're gonna vote next Saturday or because of the way we vote on any given election day or, or whatever it is. Our views on a whole range of different things. 
So we retreat into ourselves. We drift towards loneliness. This is not what Jesus wants for you. This is not what Jesus wants for us. So here's four tips of how to find some of those relationships, finding those plus ones that you can invest in deeply in order to live the good life. The first tip is be in community. It's a no-brainer, right? Be in community. This is, this is like making, giving yourself proximity within other people. You're doing it right now. So well done. You're already doing the first tip. Being around other people, but, but more than that, genuinely investing in it. Being in community, investing in it, making it a priority. Making it a priority. You know, I found something really interesting about the word priority. Um, for, for the first 500 years that the word priority existed, it was only ever singular. It was only a recent development that we made it plural, which completely contradicts the meaning of the word. We now have priorities. It's like, that's not what the word meant. We've changed it. So we've now got this collection of priorities and, and any given Sunday or any given Wednesday night, we'll work out what's the priority of the moment and we'll ditch everything else. So we won't, we won't go to the service or we won't go to life group or we won't go and be in community with other Christians because I've got other priorities. Well, well, here's the challenge. Make being in community with other people like this a, the, the priority. Make it a priority. This is what Jesus wants to give you. He wants to give you this good life by being around other people. It's, it's obvious to say this. The, the, the beginning of the cure of loneliness is prioritising proximity to people. Can you say it with me? Prioritising proximity to people. Now you couldn't say it with me. I could barely say it the first time. That's okay, we'll move on. Here's the problem with not doing this. Another quote from, from Justin Whitmore early. He says, when temptation meets aloneness, temptation wins almost every time. It is amazing who you can become once you drift away from community. It's also amazing who you can unbecome. And if you are moving away from community and, and, and there is this natural drift and you're getting caught up in the current, in that loneliness, the temptation to continue to do things that make you more and more fearful of being exposed, the more and more habitual sin that comes to, towards you, be really hard to resist it. More and more difficult, the more separated you are from community. By the way, I'll give, I'll give it another plug. Justin's book is brilliant if you want to understand more about this and, and get some more practical tips on how to put yourself out there <laughs> As a, as a plus one and finding another plus one as well, finding friends who you can do life with. His book is called Made for People. Made for People. It's just written this year. When, when we talk about being in community, can, can, I, can I do the reverse of what I did when I described this, the series over the next four weeks? Being in community in those, in those four concentric circles. Start with this. Start with the big community. But then work your way in. Think, okay, I, I need to, to prioritise being in a life group. And for some, and I say this every time I think of life groups, some of you need to start leading a life group. We haven't got enough. We haven't got enough. And if every time we talk about life groups, there's a little ping in your mind that goes, oh, that's something I keep ignoring that I should do. Today's the day. Chat with Kathy. Come and see me. Get, get online and fill out the form of, not that I'm new here, but I'm the next step button and say, I'm, I'm, I'm keen to lead a life group. Can someone chat to me more about this? Create more space for the potential for community so that more of us can live the good life. So be here on Sunday, be in life group, and then maybe even start a friendship or two. So then that brings me to the second tip. Create space and invite in. Create space and invite in. 
create space in your schedule for friendships to develop. You know, there's a funny saying we have in our current day, time poor. And it's a really funny statement because we, we treat time like it's money. You know, like when you think about money, it makes sense that some are rich and some are poor and you can put yourself on that scale wherever you want. But because some have not much of it and others have a lot of it. But that's not the case with time. We all have the exact same amount of time in our week. 168 hours. No one gets any more, no one gets any less. We all get the exact same amount of time in any given week. So none of us are time poor and none of us are time rich. We're just equal. We're equal. Of course, it's what we do with our time. And if you wanna live the good life, create space and invite in. Create space and invite people in. Invite them around your table. Invite them out for coffee. Invite them to go see a movie together. Whatever it is, invite someone. You know, again, another thing from Justin, talking more of him than I am from the Bible. Can we get rid of that from the recording, please? Um, he says one hour a week, one of the hours out of your 168, if you invest that in friendship, that's enough. That's a phone call, a conversation over coffee where the conversation goes a bit deeper. I'll get, this, I'll get to this in my next tip. That's enough. That's a good investment. That will help you live the good life one hour a week doing that. Create space and invite people in. Third tip, take the leap of vulnerability. Take the leap of vulnerability. Sin wants us to hide. Sin wants us to be lonely. Jesus wants to lead us into community. Those two things, they can't happen together. Jesus wants to lead us into genuine friendship with others and that requires vulnerability. Another quote from Justin, do you wanna know the loneliest way to live? Living with sin and hiding it. That's the loneliest way to live. The good life is not found through hiding and masking our lives, but we are happiest when we are exposed and loved anyway. And loved anyway, that's really important. Sometimes we feel, I've been in conversations where someone's shared something a bit deeply, four or five people around a table, someone shared a bit deeply and the room goes silent and it's awkward. So I get it. You have to take the leap of vulnerability. It's like leap off the edge of the cliff because I don't know what's gonna happen here. I could get met with awkward silence. You know, if you get met with awkward silence, you're having coffee with someone, maybe that's not your plus one. Conversely, if you're sitting at the coffee table and someone shares vulnerably with you, don't do the awkward silence. Here's a, here's a good tip, three simple words. Tell me more, tell me more. Take the leap of vulnerability and catch someone who's taken the leap in front of you. James nails the key. James, the, the writer of Scripture, he nails, yeah, I'm back in Scripture now. He nails the key to friendship and the good life in this simple suggestion that we find so hard. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This is the good life. It's just a throwaway line in the back end of James's letter. Here's a tip. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That right there is what these plus one relationships should look like someone who you can sit on the opposite side of the table with and share the deepest parts of your life with and then, then pray for you that you may be healed. This is loving one another. This is what friendship looks like. Move the conversation, take the leap of vulnerability, move the conversation past the pleasantries and towards the things that make up the substance of who you are. That's what vulnerability is. It's, it's an exposure of this is me 
and I'm taking the leap. And what I'm looking for is to for someone other, as well as Jesus to hear this stuff and to love me anyway. That is at the heart of living the good life. And then my final tip of the four is this, invest in your first plus one. Invest in your first plus one. You will never know a better friend than Jesus. And He wants to be your friend. He doesn't, in fact, I would say it this way. I think He'd rather be your friend than just your King. He'd rather be your friend than just your Saviour. He wants, he wants a bigger part of your heart than just the one who is trusting in Him for eternal salvation. He wants to be close. He came close and He wants to be close. He said it. He said, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. Jesus wants to be your friend. And He is the only one. Another human can't do this. He's the only one that can rescue us from our loneliness. He's the only one who can shine the light of His grace into the parts of our lives that we'd rather keep hidden and secret. He's the only one who can say with deep comfort and assurance that our souls crave, I know you fully, but I love you anyway. And the good life, the eternal good life, starts with a growing and flourishing relationship with Jesus. So be in community that centres on Him, that worships Him, that serves Him, that loves Him. This is the sort of communities that we need to be a part of. And I pray that this is the community that we are and that we're becoming more and more. Create space in your life and invite Jesus in. Invite Jesus into more every space of your life, the constant and faithful friend. And be vulnerable with Him. Take the leap of vulnerability with Jesus. He catches us every time. Invite Him in. Trust in His never-ending and perfect love that knows no end. It's beyond measure and it will never fail you. For some, as I'm talking about that, particularly that last tip, I reckon there might be a few people this morning who don't know Jesus like that. You don't know Jesus that way. Maybe you've been around churches for a while or maybe you haven't. Maybe you're sort of understanding more about Christianity, but this is the message of today. Jesus wants to be friends with you. And if you don't know Him as a friend, I'd love to give you a moment to invite Him to become your friend. So if in this moment you're aware that you don't know Jesus like this, you don't know Him like this, you don't know Him as a close friend, you don't, you don't know Him as someone who can rescue you from your loneliness. Like as we talk about loneliness, that triggers something, you know, I am lonely. Jesus wants to rescue you from your loneliness today. He wants to shine the light of His love and grace into the parts of your life that you would rather remain in the dark. He wants to shine the light of His love and grace so that He can say to you, I know you fully, but I love you anyway. 
the good life starts with Him and the good life can be yours today. So with every head bowed and every pair of eyes closed, just to make it really, really easy and unintimidating for people who want to invite Jesus into their life today. If that's you, let me lead you in a very simple prayer. You can just pray this silently in your heart after me. Jesus, I invite you in. Come into my life and show me your goodness. Show me the good life that starts with you. I confess I have things in my life that I would rather keep hidden, mistakes, painful memories, failures, sins that cause me to drift into loneliness. Rescue me today and lead me in living the good life with you. Jesus, I invite you in. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer this morning, can I just get you to shoot your hand up real quick? We've got a gift for you, thank you. If you prayed that prayer just then, stick your hand up. We'd love to give you a gift this morning. Fantastic. For the rest of us, here's my challenge to take away from today. There are four tips there. I wanna give you the challenge of the fourth one, that we invest in our first plus one. Let me tell you, I know, I know I'm a better father, a better husband. Reverse that order, a better husband, a better father, a better brother, a better brother-in-law, a better son, a better everything. When I am walking closely with Jesus and from here, my challenge to you is to walk closely with your better friend and to create space in your schedule to make time to spend with Him. Reading Scripture, praying, listening to worship, whatever it is, to be investing in that relationship. That's where, that's where the good life starts and it's the eternal good life. Let's stand to our feet and let's express that desire, express that intent uh, through this song where we say, for me, only Jesus. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.